exploring the man named Jesus and uh, going through the book of John. And John talks about that there's, there's, there's seven signs in particular through the gospel of John that point to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And each of the signs is a miracle that Jesus does. And so up until this point, we have seen Jesus take water and turn it into wine. We've seen him heal uh, the lame. We've seen him heal the blind. We've seen him uh, be Lord over creation, where he actually walked on water to the disciples and even called one of the disciples to join him on the water, that he had power, he could speak to the winds and the waves, and they could calm down, peace be still. Last week, we talked about how Jesus opened the eyes of a man born blind from birth. And that had never been done in the history of the world. And to this day, uh, well, there, there are still miracles. And we are a church that believe that God still does miracles. But this is the first time that anybody that was born blind. In other words, there was no connection. There was something broken between the, the physical ability to see and how your brain translates vision. And Jesus healed this man uh, by hawking a loogie in the, in the mud and putting it on his eyes and telling him to go wash in the pool. And if you weren't here for that message, I, I recommend that you go back and, and watch next week. But today, as we're looking at the last sign in the book of John, uh, pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God, I, don't, I think we've come to the culmination of the miracles that Jesus has done. And today, Jesus stares down probably our greatest enemy that we face in this life, and that is the fear of death. And he stares death down, and he goes toe-to-toe with this thing called death, and he calls a man who has died out of the grave, and he comes back to life. And there's no greater miracle. Now, all the miracles, I believe, have been building up, and each week it's been amazing to remind ourselves, for many of us, we know the stories, but I don't know how many of us are allowing the stories to change our story. And, and as we've been going through each of these stories, I've had two prayers that I've been praying for you as your pastor. The first one is this, is that you would fall in love with this man named Jesus. I honestly think that most of our problems in the Christian life come from that one thing. If that we would just fall more in love with Jesus, we would fall less in love with the world. Sin would stop becoming attractive. See, when you understand who this person of Jesus is, then you naturally want, you're naturally drawn to him like the people of the day were drawn to Jesus. There was something about him. Let me tell you, there's something about this man, Jesus, that makes me just want to know him more. Wants to draw closer to him. Wants more of the life that he offers. And and as I was looking at all the different names, and there's so many names for Jesus in the Bible, and they all tell a little bit different story about his nature and his character and who he is. But I picked the name author of life. Paul says, you thought you killed the author of life, but you didn't. He rose from the grave. And the message this morning is because he rose from the grave. There are no hopeless situations. There are no hopeless people. There's nothing that is impossible. Jesus takes impossibilities off the table with raising Lazarus from the dead. And I hope that this morning, this, this story inspires you to look at your life because I think sometimes we get stuck in life. We get stuck in our stories. We, we start just kind of 
going through the motions of life, but not really living. And today I want to encourage us that there is more to life than we're living right now. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 32 through 44. Now this whole chapter really is dedicated to the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. But I'm going to hone in on about 12 verses, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. Are you ready? ready. Are you ready? Would you do me a favor? Um, there's, there's a couple of times where I just feel that it's important that we stand to honor the Word of God. And I feel like this morning there's something even prophetic about standing as we read the Word of God, that there is there's life there's, there's something that God wants to do in some of your lives this morning. Oftentimes as a pastor, when I'm wrestling with a message or wrestling with the word of God, it's an indication to me that there, there's a wrestling because God wants to do something. There's something on the word. And today I believe there's something on this that God wants to take you from where you are and move you into a new realm in his spirit. And so thank you for standing with me. I'm going to read this to you. John chapter 11, verse 32 through 44. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, last week we talked about seeing Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And here's the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And it was a cave and a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for days. The King James Version said, he stinketh. <laughs> I kind of like that. He stinketh. And then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Titled my message to you this morning is Dying to Live. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that your word would come alive in us this morning. And as your word comes alive in us, God, I pray that any area of our life that is dying, that is dead, that we've given up hope for, that we feel like it's too late, I'm too old, can't happen. God, I pray for resurrection life and power to rise up. That your word would be like a seed that would take root in your people this morning. And God, that it would come to life and that it would bear fruit. Father, I give you this time, this microphone. 
I am wholly, fully dependent on you, Holy Spirit, for your anointing to preach this word that you've put on my heart. I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have for us today. In your name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. How many of you are ready for the word of God this morning? Like, I, I mean, I know I read the scripture to you, but I believe that God, there's an impartation. I always pray, in fact, I was praying on the way here this morning, um, because I don't believe, I, I believe that you, you can preach a good message, right? And every preacher wants to do that. But to me, I, I kind of position myself like the Apostle Paul. He said, I don't want to just speak to you. He said, I want to speak to you with power. I want the words that I speak to have power to actually change your life and my life. And every time I preach to you, just know that the word works in me before I work it out and I work it out through me to you. And so I believe there's something specific that God wants to do in and through your life this morning through this word. So I'm going to just unpack a few things before I really get to the meat of what I believe God wants to impart to you. And when I, when I read this, there's a couple things that really stuck out to me. And the first one is this. There's always hope when you trust in Jesus. There's always hope when you trust in Jesus. <laughs> um, I, was, I was reading in the... the I, I couldn't read the newspaper, but it was translated in the Russian times. I don't want you to think I'm like multilingual and I could read Russian or anything like that. But it, the Russian times had this interesting article about this man, uh, young man. He was uh, in his mid to, to late 20s and he was uh, partying with his friends. And somewhere in the middle of this party, he, uh, he just kind of keeled over and dropped on the floor. And his friends freaked out. They tried CPR on him. He didn't have a pulse, nothing. Guy was just like that, just poof, dead. They thought he had a massive heart attack or something and just died. So they called the paramedics. The paramedics come, said, yeah, no, he doesn't have a pulse. And they took him to the morgue, put him in the morgue, and it's this, this cooler where they had other, other bodies before people come and claim the body and take it to the, the funeral home or whatever you know, they do to embalm the body. And so uh, somewhere in the middle of the night, this man wakes up, and he's in this dark room. He, he's disoriented, and he's scrambling around, feeling around, and all he feels is cold, dead limbs. And you could imagine, like, this is something out of a horror movie, right? He, he wakes up. He doesn't know where he is. He's disoriented from a night of partying, and he freaks out, and he, he runs to the door, and he starts banging on the door. And think of this as like a, like a locker. Like, there's no windows in this place. Completely dark. He, he might even think he's in hell for all he knows, right? And he's banging on the door, and some of the morticians or whatever there, they, they come running, and they're freaked out. Like, they're like, oh my gosh, somebody is alive in there. And so they call the police. And so, yeah, so this guy is like in this, in this locker for like over an hour before the police get there. The police get there, finally let him out. As soon as they open the door, the guy literally runs out and they're like, well, he's naked. Like he just runs out and they're all freaked out. Like, oh my gosh. So the man runs out and uh, he gets a cab or something and he goes back to the house where he, his friends were still there. It's wee hours of the morning now. And, and the, their partying turned to a memorial service for the man. And they're, they're toasting to drinks and talking about times that have. And there's a knock on the door and they open the door and it's their friend. The guy literally passes out and falls backwards. And they all start cheering and they go back to partying now that he's alive. 
And uh, I thought, man, that's a crazy story, but this really happened, right? That's something you'd see in movies. And, and I think the greatest stories are resurrection stories. The greatest stories are stories when we think something is so far gone, something is unrecoverable, and it comes back to life. And, and when I read this story, I, it reminds me that nothing is ever too far gone. Nothing is too dead. No person is too far gone. That's why um, we were talking, uh, Jess was talking while she, I believe she was talking prophetically while she was singing this morning and leading us in worship. And she was singing, sing the name of Jesus over your friends and over your neighbors. Why? Because nobody's too far gone. There's people that I never thought would get saved that God saved them and took them and called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's people in this room. I'm here as a living testimony. I should not be here. I should be dead somewhere. I should be strung out on drugs. I should be in a psych ward. I don't know, but I know this, that if it wasn't for God calling me out of darkness into his marvelous light, that I wouldn't even be up here speaking to you this morning. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. And I believe that if you want the story of your life to matter, you have to allow the resurrection life and power of Jesus to come into every area of your life. Not just a part of your life, but every area of your life. Look, it says in, in John chapter 11, verse 32 that we just read, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, we know this because earlier in their chapter, it talks about it, that Mary and Martha, when Lazarus was sick, and there was still hope for him to get better, they had seen Jesus do miracles. He healed the sick boy just by speaking a word, a word of life to the official. And his son was healed at the very moment that Jesus spoke the word. They've seen Jesus heal multiple people. So they believe that Jesus, if you could just get here while my brother Lazarus is sick, that, that you can bring healing to him. But it says that Jesus actually waited, he delayed for two days before he came to Bethany. And, and for some of us, that could confuse us. Like, why in the world would Jesus wait, or why would he delay in his coming when he could have healed him while he was still alive? And at this point, Mary and Martha, they're grieving. They think it's over. It's done. Jesus, why weren't you here? And I wonder how many of us look at our lives and are still grieving over the things that we wished God would do, but he didn't do. See, we're talking about miracles of Jesus, and I hope the other thing that I've been praying for you, besides you falling more in love with Jesus, I've been praying that your faith would begin to rise and that you would start to believe from, from reading the stories of how Jesus touched the lives and everything, he's the author of life, everything that you allow God to touch. And believe me, there's no area of your life that God doesn't want to touch, but every area of your life that God touches comes to life. He gives life to and so as we read these stories, we see these miracles. And just like we sang the songs, he's the God. He still does miracles today. He's not dead. He's alive. His spirit is alive. And if you're a, a believer in Jesus, his spirit is alive in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The same resurrection life and power that rose Jesus from the grave and that he used to rise Lazarus from the grave is alive in you this morning. That means that nothing is hopeless. 
Nothing is ever too far gone. But yet in our natural mind, we just say, oh, well, I guess that's not going to happen. We give up on our marriages. We give up on our kids. We give up on our future. We give up on our ministry. We give up on ever overcoming our sin, our addictions, the things that we wrestle with in secret in the caves of our life, in the dark caverns where nobody else knows about, in the places we, we struggle and wrestle with, and we feel like it's dead. I, I can't overcome this. But I got a couple things that I believe that, that we can learn from this, that when you put your hope and trust in Jesus, there's never a never. There's never any situation that's too far gone or too impossible. But you have to understand a couple things because for some of us, we haven't seen God move like we've wanted to and like we hoped for. And that can mess with us as believers and make us start to question God. So you have to understand something. God's delays are not his denials. And there's a couple of instances where they, they asked Jesus to do something, but he didn't do it right. Woman, it's not my time yet. <laughs> he understood that God's timing is just as important as what he's going to do. That if he does something, but he doesn't do it in the right timing and perfect will of God, that it can actually mess up your life more than it will help it. Do you know that sometimes we're not ready for God to do the miracle that we're asking for? That there's something that God needs to do in our hearts to prepare us for what God wants to do. And so we have to understand that just because God delays in our answer, and this is why you should continue to persevere in your prayers. Continue to pray, continue to believe, don't give up, hope, right? Because God's delays are not his denials. And though you may not see the answer yet, the answer's on the way. I think about Daniel, Daniel praying and fasting. And for 21 days, he prayed, nothing. 21 days, and finally, the angel of the Lord shows up. And he says, Daniel, I, I had the answer for you 21 days ago, but I've been doing battle in the heavenlies to try to get to you with the answer. And how many of us, we give up on believing God for the miracles that we're longing for him to do in our life because we're not seeing it. And because we don't see it and because we don't feel it, we give up on it. God's delays are not his denials. The second thing that we need to understand is God's denials are never final. I thank God for unanswered prayers because his ways are not our ways and we don't see the big picture. In fact, we'll never understand some of the things that we experience in this life and this is a problem. It will mess with your flesh. It will mess with your mind because in your mind, you're gonna wanna try to figure out why. Why, why did this happen? God, why did you have to let this happen? Why did you deny me that prayer? Why did you deny that miracle from happening. And oftentimes, when you're in the middle of something, you don't see what God is doing. Revelation is often in hindsight. I can look back on my life now and, oh my gosh, now I get it. Now I understand why God allowed that to happen. But when I'm in the moment, I can start doubting God. And this is where some of us lose our, we, we can walk away from our faith we can deconstruct our faith because we're letting our why instead of God, I don't understand, but I, I trust you nonetheless. I don't get it, 
But I understand that your denials are never final. What do you mean by that? Well, I can tell you this, that if you need healing in your body, and some of you, you have loved ones. I remember I was thinking about when we were going through COVID, and uh, there was a dear saint of this house named Mary Larson, Mary Corona, sorry, Ed. And, um, and Ed is so faithful. He comes to our church. He's here every week, and we love you. But I remember when Mary got the coronavirus, and this was early on, and we as a church, we were believing and praying that God was going to heal Mary. We believed that with all our heart. In fact, we met up at the hospital. You couldn't go into the hospital, but we met up at the parking lot of the hospital, and, and we had, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 people in a big circle in the parking lot of the hospital praying, believing that God was going to heal Mary. We just knew it. I just knew it. I knew that God was going to heal her until he didn't. And, and I was grieved, and many of us were grieved at the loss of such a beautiful woman, such a prayer warrior, such a woman of faith. There's still days where I miss it. I'll never forget. She would come into my office sometimes before uh, I would come out for service. And um, in particular, that there was a season where I went through some things. And how many of you know that when you go through some things and you think, think that God is, uh, that you're done or that you're buried in the pain of what you're walking through, that if you will allow God to do what he wants to do in you, you'll come out in more resurrection life and power. And I had been through one of those seasons. I've been through many of those seasons, but in particular, I've been through one of those seasons. And she came into my office and she, she just looked at me and with this big smile, and she goes, mm, mm. She's like, honey, she's like, before you used to feed us steak. She's like, but now this is prime rib. This is so good. And she just encouraged me. And that's who she was. She was such an encourager. But I remember when she passed, just thinking, God, how could, how could you? We believed. How could you deny? And I know you have the power to do it, but you didn't. And so I was left in a place of, of discouragement, but I had to understand, like, I don't know, I don't see the whole picture, and God, I have to trust you. That even though you're denied, you're denied our prayer request, our denials are never final. Why? Because she trusted in Jesus. She was a woman of God, and she's now passed from death into life. She's in a better place than we are, y'all. She's in heaven. She's with Jesus. She's in the presence of the living God. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 54 says this. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? For the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm here today because I believe one of the things that God wants to do through this passage of scripture is he wants to break off the fear of death for some of you. Because the fear of death can keep you in bondage. The fear of death can make you make decisions for your life where you start playing it safe. Where, where you start living in fear, but my Bible says that there is no fear in love. And when you understand how perfectly God loves you, how much he loves you, they, the fact that he died for you, and you understand how much you're loved by God, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. 
And this story should encourage us that we don't have to fear death. I, I was at a conference uh, with my wife uh, a couple of weeks ago, a pastor's conference, and there's this guy who's an atheist. And now he's an agnostic, actually. He's, he's creeping over to, to believe. And, and this guy, he knows the Bible better than most Christians. And he was making, they asked him, is there anything you want to encourage? This is a group of pastors. Is there anything that you want to encourage the pastors with? And this is what he said. He said, uh, he said you know the problem with pastors these days? Is nobody's trying to kill them. And I thought about that. He said, because when you go back to the book of Acts, they had to have no fear because they lived in a time where they could be killed for their faith at any moment. So what it did, and they saw, they actually saw Jesus. He was dead, now he's alive. And so they understood. And this story is not just a story about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. It was a precursor to Jesus rising from the dead, which is a precursor to you and I, that when we are dead, death is never final. The denial of life is never final for us who believe in Jesus. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? We have victory through Jesus Christ, so we don't have to fear death. He said this, he went on to say this. He said, listen, he said, why are you so, why are you guys so afraid? Why are Christians so afraid of dying? You should live the most courageous, fearless life on the planet if you really believe what you believe. And that's the question. Do you really believe what you believe? Because if you do, and if I do, the fear of death and the power of the fear of death has been broken. It's been broken. Its power has been broken by Jesus. And you and I can live in freedom knowing there is victory. And even when there's a denial on earth, it's never final because you and I get to go to heaven. We get to graduate. So no sickness is ever unto death. It's always unto life. It's always from death to life. Amen? The second thing that you need to understand is this, that Jesus feels your pain. Listen, God took on flesh. I love it. It said in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, meaning Mary and Martha, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, it says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The original language portrays a groaning. There was a groaning inside the spirit of Jesus as he saw their pain. He felt their pain. He agonized with them. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, it says Jesus wept. But here's what you have to understand about that word wept. It doesn't mean he just cried. It's one thing to sympathize with somebody. It's another thing to empathize with them. When it says Jesus wept, the word in the original Greek is actually a word like, it isn't, it isn't like a deep wailing, like a lot of mourners would do. It's, it's a cry. It's more of a quiet cry that comes deep within somebody's soul. And it's an angry cry. That's what the word, it, it's like somebody who is angry. You ever been angry and you cried because you're so angry? That's what that word means. Now let me paint this picture for you. Jesus sees the effects of sin. Jesus never wanted Adam and Eve to sin, but they did, unfortunately. And because they sin, it put into motion death, disease, decay, chaos into the world. And Jesus is seeing 
the utmost effect of sin in the world in his friend Lazarus dying and how it's affecting the people around him, his sisters. And he weeps, but he doesn't just cry. He feels their pain and he gets angry because sin has taken a good man. And if there's anything that we need to take away from this and understand is that Jesus feels your pain. He feels your pain. He's angry when you were abused as a kid. He's angry at that divorce. He's angry that you're, you're stuck in an addiction. He's angry that sin has you in its grips and, and, and you're stuck in this place of death, trying to get out of it time and time again, but you're stuck there. And you're slowly dying. And Jesus is mad. He's angry and he's weeping and he feels your pain. And he says, I'm gonna defeat sin and death someday. And when you get it, you're gonna never gonna live the same. See, most of us are dying to live, but here's what you have to understand. Jesus wants you fully alive, but in order for you to come fully alive, you actually have to die to your old life. You have to die to your old ways. Saint Irenaeus um, said it like this, the glory of God is man fully alive. And I think if we're gonna be honest with each other, here, here's, here's our problem. We're living most of the time half alive. We've been saved, but we're not set free. We're going to heaven, but we're not living fully in the life that Jesus died to give you. We're not living in the resurrection life and power. And so now when I think about this story, there's, there's three commands or three calls that are gonna help you and I live fully in that life. And the first one is this. Jesus calls us to remove anything that's between you and him. It says Jesus in verse 38. Jesus once more moved deeply. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And this is what he said. Take away the stone. This is the first step. And I wonder for how many of us this morning, one of the reasons you're not experiencing more of the resurrection life of power of God that he offers you is that there's things, there's stones in the way between you and Jesus, between you and life. There's things that are keeping you stuck in a dark place, in, in a place where you can't hear God or you can't see God because you've allowed stones to be rolled in your heart between you and God that are blocking the flow of life. It reminds me, there's a, couple, there's a story in the Old Testament about uh, Jacob, and I'm sorry, not Jacob, uh, his, uh, his dad, it was Isaac. There's a story about Isaac. Isaac is Abraham's son, and Abraham had dug wells. Now, when you, were, when you live in the desert, water is life. In fact, they built villages around water, you know, wells. Because where there was water, there was life. And, and you, water, you have no water, you don't survive. So water in the Bible is a symbol of life. And in the Old Testament, Abraham had dug wells. And, and those wells brought life to the villages and the people that were around it. But the enemies of Abraham, the Philistines, one of the things that they would constantly do is they would come to the wells in the middle of the night or they would come to a village and they would take rocks and debris and they would put it down in the wells to stop up the well so that they would remove their source of life from them. This is exactly what the enemy of your soul wants for you. 
He wants there to be rocks, whether it's sin, whether it's addiction, whether it's you name it. It's usually something hidden that nobody else knows and nobody sees, but it's blocking the flow of life from God to you. And I want to ask you the question, because the first command that God gives to bring Lazarus back to life, he says, remove the stone from the tomb. And I want to ask you, what's blocking you from receiving the life of God? What's in the way? It said that Isaac had to reopen the wells and let the water flow. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to reopen some wells in some of you this morning and in me. The second thing that, that Jesus had to do after the stone was removed, he had to call him out from the dead to the living. He called him out from the dead to the living. Lazarus, come out. I wonder if God is calling some of your names this morning. Ken, come out. David, come out. Mary, come out. Fill in your name. What is God calling you out of that? See, because here's the thing. The stone could be removed, but you could be still stuck in a prison with the door open. And God gave me a picture that some of us, God freed you from a life of sin when you received him as your Lord and Savior. But some of you just stayed in the grave because we get comfortable there. We kind of make a nice little home for ourselves in that cave. We make a fire, we keep ourselves warm, and we think we're free. But we're not really living in the light and the life that God called us to. What are you stuck in? Think about, it. Think about it for a minute. A tomb is a cave. In the Old Testament, God would say, my people have committed two sins in the book of Jeremiah. They have made for themselves or honed for themselves cisterns. Cisterns that could hold no water. A cistern, cistern was a, a cave. It was like a tomb. It was a place where they had carved out so that when rain came, it would hold water. But what God is saying is that the things that you have tried to create in your own life, for your life, they're cracked, they're flawed. Life comes through them and out of them. And if you would turn to me, the source of living water, I would give you life. But too many of us, we're, we're, we're just stuck in that grave and we haven't stepped out of it. What is God asking you to step out of that is not bringing you life? What is that you're stuck in, that you're dead in? The third thing is this, Jesus calls you to take off the grave clothes so that you can be free to be fully alive. Jesus calls you to take off the grave clothes so that you can be free, so that you can be fully alive. Now this is, this is where I believe a lot of us in the room are. God has called you out of death into light and life, and we're free, we're saved, but we're still bound. See, Lazarus was alive, but he was still stuck. He was still bound. Now, it says that he was bound from his feet to his hands to his head. To me, that represents that the things that, the, the walk that we want to do, think about it, when, you're, when your feet are bound. I even wonder, you ever wonder this? How in the world did Lazarus get out with his feet bound? Did he kind of crawl like a worm, you know, on the ground and do the, maybe that was the invention of the worm. 
Um, did he do that? No, he probably hopped. He probably had to hop. And when I think about it, too many of us, we want to leapfrog or jump in our faith instead of walking daily with God. We jump from one service to another, one conference to another, hoping that somehow we're going to grow in Christ. And yes, God might touch you, but let me tell you something. The way that you get free is you begin to unravel and take off the grave clothes of your old life, of your old way of thinking, and you start walking daily with God in freedom. And this is the part that many of us miss in the Christian life. We stay bound and we stay stuck because we don't learn to walk with God to have intimacy with him, to know God. You need to know God. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. But you can't be free unless you walk with God and learn to walk by the Spirit. Look at, in verse 44, it said, the dead man came out, his hands, his feet, wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. And this is sanctification. This is the process of God unraveling. But here's the interesting thing. He tells not Lazarus. Lazarus has no power to unravel himself. He tells the people around him to take the grave clothes off him. This is the power of the church. Man, some of you post, you know, post-pandemic some people are down on the church, but let me tell you something. The church was Jesus' idea. Jesus birthed the church. He gave life to the church. He's still alive in the church. He's still calling people out of darkness into his marvelous light. And listen, this is the power of community. There are things in your life you'll never be able to be free of until you confess your faults, as James would say, one to another so that you might be saved. Paul would also say, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. He said, for it is God. Now, before you start thinking it's you who does the work, is you're partnering with God. There's things that you got to do to get the grave clothes off you. But work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you and through you. It's his power. It's his resurrection life. But you got to position yourself. Let me tell you, when, when I was a young man, um, and I first got saved, there was, a, there was a guy in my life, his name was Russ Williamson. And he came alongside me and he said, hey, you know, I'm gonna walk with you. And I had questions about my faith and I, he would answer those questions for me. And it was amazing. But I remember the first time that the Holy Spirit told me I need to confess something that I was struggling with to him. And I didn't wanna do it. I was like, no way, he'll think less of me. Uh, I can't do that. That's embarrassing. And yet the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave me alone. And I remember when I actually confessed it to him, he looked at me and he's just like, you know what? I've struggled with that too. And I believe God wants to give you the strength to overcome that. And he prayed with me and for me. And I remember how freeing that, it was like a strip of grave clothes got peeled off me that day. The stink of sin, the stink of hiding my sin. And, and the decay and rot that it caused in my life because there are people in the church that want to help you. That's what we're here for, to help you find freedom so that you can discover your purpose and make a difference with your life so your story becomes something worth living.
Holy Spirit, I invite you to come right now and touch every single person. God, I pray that you call them out of anything that is keeping them bound and away from your life that you're offering them. Father, I pray that you would unwrap anything that is keeping them from seeing you, from hearing you, from walking with you, from living their life for you. I pray that you set them free, that you breathe new life into them right now in the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name.